I'm going to give something away about myself. Um, when I was in college, I depended upon Cole's notes or Barnes notes or Cliff's notes. Do you know what they are? Some people call them cheat, but I don't think that's what they are. They, they just, they kind of get to the heart of the matter, right? So if you have a big long book, if you have a big long textbook that you're supposed to read, um, you'd, you'd maybe go and ask, is there, is there a Cliff's note on this? Because I've only got today. Yeah, I should have started reading it months ago, but I didn't. So I need to read the short version, right? Or you might even ask your friend in the class, could you borrow his notes? Because his notes will be more succinct and hopefully, if it's a smart person, and I always found the smartest person in the room and said, could I borrow your notes? And they got wise to it and said, no, you can't have my notes. You should write your own notes. But I didn't go to any lectures. It doesn't matter. You should have. That sort of thing, right? I'm, I'm also sort of a bottom line person. When somebody comes to talk about a problem, I hate when they give all kinds of preamble, all, all kinds of background, right? I just, well, what's the bottom line? Like, what's the point? Can you get to the point? What I want to talk about today is, um, is, is actually that as far as the Bible is concerned. Uh, about a year ago, uh, one of our neighbors came by and we were sitting on our porch and he said, um, so religion, can you give me like the short version? <laughs> I think some people have that question, right? What's the short version of religion? And today as we look at the last of the hymn fragments of the New Testament, we're going to look in John chapter 1 at again another little piece of a hymn. Uh, even though John is early in the New Testament that we have in our Bibles, John was probably written last. So later than Colossians and Philippians, John was writing as an old man. And w when he wanted to, to put together his memoirs, his, um, his legacy to, to the followers of Christ, he wrote this beautiful, beautiful piece. It, it's a long piece of several chapters, like 21 chapters. But at the beginning of it, John gives us what is the bottom line. He gives us the Coles notes, or the Cliffs notes, or the Barnes notes. He gives us the best students version of what religion is. What is the bottom line? Like, what does it all come down to? And today, as we look at this little piece of a hymn, uh, it was woven into the way John introduced Jesus. And what he says about Jesus, as I went through it over and over again, it, it just seems to me that this is it. If this is all that I had, and someone asked me, well, Jesus, what is that about? In John chapter 1, verses 1 to 5, I think we have a phenomenal summary of the truth about Jesus. So I'm going to read it to you, and then I'm going to just sort of take it apart a little bit. Um, because we need to know how these words mean what they do, and Susan has led us into that. But in John chapter 1, it says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, 
and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. It's a phenomenal little piece of this hymn. Uh, and in it, John gets right to the point. In, in fact, we might say, well, that says it all, and it really does. Because here we are brought to a very important question. For us, it's a, it's a question that's kind of moot because we've kind of come to our own conclusions. But for humanity generally, it's a very pertinent question because we presume something that everyone else, if they were to be introduced to this the first time, would probably scratch their heads and say, how could it, possi how could it be possibly true that a human being would be God? Um, you remember that song from a few years ago, What If God Was One Of Us? And it was kind of a, a tongue-in-cheek song that said, you know, just a stranger in the bus or whatever. But this whole notion that a person who is a human being could be God is unthinkable, isn't it? I mean, it's something that you have to start and say, well, okay, here's the premise. Here's, here's the proposition that God could be a human being, or a human being could be God. And as we look down through human history, there's only one candidate upon whom we settle and say we're clear about who Jesus was, that in fact he was God. So this morning as we think about this, um, I, I want to take the little hymn part in, into two pieces. And for the first, at least the first seven centuries of the Christian church, people dealt with the question, could a human being be God? And so theologians um, all gave their best attempt at explaining how that could be true. And sadly, their best attempt often became a heresy. <laughs> and when someone said, well, <sighs> A human being being God, Jesus being God, God being Jesus, it makes sense if, and they would propose the various ways in which it would make sense. And oftentimes there was a church council that was called together, and at the end of the council meeting, they would say something like, <clears throat> sorry, heretic, you don't make it into orthodoxy. The church itself got split into the east and the west. And so you have from Alexandria and Antioch generally two streams of thought. And the reason we have the Eastern Orthodox Church or the Russian Orthodox Church, the Orthodox Church, um, it was one that tended towards one kind of interpretation. And the Western Church, so the separation between the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church are all about this question of how could Jesus actually be God? So as, as we look at what they've suggested, they've, they've come up with these ideas. One is, well, um, when Jesus was baptized, then God affirmed him and made him deity at that point. He became God. Another person came along and, and said, no, he wasn't actually a human. He just seemed to be human. So not really flesh and blood, just looked like he was flesh and blood. Another one suggested that when you think about the nature that Jesus had, um, we could say that he had two natures, but only one will. He was 
God and man, but he only had one will. It was only a divine will. He didn't have a human will. And that made the church leaders scratch their heads because they wondered whether that could be possibly true. Uh, And so in various ways, people would try to understand how it could be that God is a man. And we come back to John chapter 1 and say, well, actually, all of the things that people have wondered about, all of the ways that they have tried to construe the possibility of God being man is answered in this, that says it all, um, piece of creed, really. And even though it's difficult for us to understand, it is what we accept by faith because it becomes the foundation of our faith. And honestly, if someone were to ask you, well, boil it all down, there's not a better passage of scripture to which you could boil everything down than John chapter one. It, it, is, it is what you need to know for the final exam. It's what you need to know about Jesus. So what does it tell us? It says, in the beginning was the word. And we might say, okay, in the beginning was the word. So, but no, in the beginning is the way that John seizes or crafts something very important. And he goes back as far as you could go back and says, okay, if, if, if you could think of the singularity as we would refer to it today, if, if you could think about the first moment of time, in the beginning, so, so not at the beginning something happened, but just in the beginning. And of course, our minds are thrown back to Genesis 1. And, and John is very deliberately um, mirroring Genesis chapter 1 by making this the crux of the Bible. And, and there's what I'm proposing to you, that for the final exam, if you don't know what John 1, 1 to 5 is all about, you won't get the right result on the exam. This is what everything else explains. Even the gospel record of John, when we go on into the chapter, he he explains it more and says, and so that you understand what has happened, there was a man sent from God, his name was John, and he wasn't the light, but he came to tell us about the light, the light that when it comes is going to bring light to all men and all that kind of stuff. Then tells a story of how this strange character John the Baptist introduced to Jesus and then John goes on and says here are all of the things I remember him saying and doing and if all the books in the world um, could contain all the truth of the world they still would be lost in contrast to the truth of the things that Jesus came to say and do but back before all of that is John's premise John's succinct summary of what it's all about when we think about this notion of God being a human being. A strange idea, but an absolutely necessary idea and the foundation of Christianity. In the beginning, so from the beginning we might say not even that. It's when there's a point that we would look back to and say it's the beginning of life as we understand it or creation as we understand it, in the beginning was the word. And it's very important. It doesn't say in the beginning God made the word or not in the beginning the word appeared or anything else about the word. Um, It simply says that in the beginning was the word. It's an imperfect tense in Greek, which means it was already being. 
So if you go back to the beginning of time, there is, at that beginning point of time, the word already in existence. So that puts to bed some of the arguments that came along as people tried to get their heads around the notion of God and man somehow being one. Because when we go back to the beginning, there's someone, we presume, called the word, and that someone already was. When did God begin? I don't know. When did the word begin? I don't know. How could this be true? I don't know. So there's my confession. I don't know how it could possibly be true that God always was. But we simply rest on that as the foundation of everything that makes sense from that premise. So in the beginning was the word, and the word, okay, the word was with God. It's a little preposition that, that almost means face to face with. So there is some person called the word, and there's God. Oh, it, so far we don't just have something introducing God, but we have something introducing someone other than God, because at the very beginning of time, at the beginning of everything that we can remember, the word already was in existence, was being, and the word was somewhere with God, alongside of God. So we, we've come to understand the biblical doctrine of Trinity. It is the notion that God is both one and three. How can we explain the Trinity? We can't. We accept it. But in the beginning, God who is one was also three not three forms or three personalities or three manifestations, but God who is one, and that's true, was also three. And one of the ways that this is sort of explained to us is to say that the word was with God. The word that already was, was with God, that we know was already there, because that's how the Bible beginnings begins. In the beginning, God... So God already was, now we're told the word already was, and we're told that the word was with God. What was God doing with the word? What was the word doing with God? Later on, Jesus says, I want them to see the glory that I had with you before the foundation of the world. I want them to see what it was like for me to be with you. It says the word was with God, and then clear as anything, John just puts it out there. The word was God. The word and God were one and the same. The Greek terms that he uses is the term logos. It's a philosophical term. It had all kinds of meaning for the Greeks. And they would understand that it had something to do with communication, um, with relationship. And so John is already characterizing this person as being a relational, communicating being and this one who always was with God John says he was God if if the Jehovah's Witnesses come knocking on your door they will show you a version that the word is explained by saying the word was a God there is no respectable translation that translates it that way the only appropriate translation of the phrase is the word was God it cannot possibly be, according to any grammar source, the word was a God. 
And in fact, one of the ways that people tried to explain um, was a, a, what was called a heresy, sadly it became, by a person called Arian, who claimed that Jesus was the first of God's creation. And then everything tumbled into place after that. But John doesn't agree with that. He says the word was God. It's not that God created the word first. It's not that God created the word as most important. It's not that God blessed the word and made him a God as well. We're simply told by John that here's the primer, that the word was God. And then just to remind us, he says, he was in the beginning with God. That, that's what was there before there was any of us. Then came about the Big Bang, then came about whatever happened, then came about what we're looking at and wondering about in all of time. Um, but it all began with a pre-existent person, the Logos, the Word, and John is going to quickly tell us that that's Jesus. John came to bear testimony about the Logos, about, about the Word. And then what does it say about him? All things came into being through him or by him. It, it has to mean uh, it's a dative of a, a particular kind. That It's not that God did something by means of the word, but it means that the word was the one actually doing the activity. So all things came into being through him or by him. Apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So there certainly are some things that appeared, that became. But the word was not one of them. The word was the, the way that they came into being. He was the cause of their coming into being. And John says, everything was made by him. Nothing came into being apart from him. So the Lord Jesus, and even as we try to unscramble our heads on the whole person and work of Christ, we can tend to drift into his being a really good man, a really good teacher, a really good miracle worker. But sometimes we stop short of understanding that he actually made everything that there is. He's the one. And later in John 1, John says, here's the truth. He came to his own, his own things, the things that he had made, and his own people did not receive him. John is flabbergasted by that, that, that the one who is the word, all of the things that we've seen about him, John says he came to what he made and his own people. His, it, it came to his own things and his own people did not receive him. The point of all of it is that to those who did receive him, he gave the authority to be called children of God. And there's the crux of the matter. The second part of this that we might think of as the kind of the uh, second verse um, is that John says, when I think about him, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Do you ever wonder about the phenomenon phenomenon of life, consciousness, existence, Th that when a, when a child is born and is brought into this world, the child comes into being. The child didn't exist until 
conception and then delivery and here you have this crying baby becoming the joy of your life, right? But way back in the beginning, the story of creation says that God breathed into the nostrils of the human being. He breathed life into the human being. And what is that phenomenon? It's not just biological. It's not just mechanical. Something happened that what did not have vibrancy to it originally came to life. And when, when commentators have a look at this, they say it's not just the life in terms of physical life. It's not just breath. It's not just breathing, not just the heart pumping. It's life in every possible way that you conceive of life. Jesus toyed with people a little bit. He said, I came to bring you life, real life. Not, not just physical life, not, not, not even just eternal life in terms of its longevity, but life in terms of its meaning, in terms of its fullness. And it, it's as though we see this expanding and expanding. And Jesus says, I, I, I'm the one who brought you life. Not only the life that lets you breathe your breath, but the life that lets you really live. I mentioned last week that they talk about people pursuing meaning. And the pursuit of meaning is ultimately the pursuit of Jesus. Because the very breath that we breathe, the very life that we live, the very fact that we're on this earth and we have six score and ten days or however many more we get by strength, it, it's all because Jesus made everything that there is, everything that we're in, everything that we are, and he's also the one that brought light to us. And John says the light is the life of men. That is the life that he brought was life that had a, a characteristic that we would call light. It, it, it was an understanding, a comprehension. So, Again, backing up to give, give us the Cliff's note, give us the Barnes note. Well, this is it. What is Christianity? Christianity is this. It's all the other stuff that the whole Bible tells us about. But if all we had was this little section of five verses and we could communicate this to people, we would have told them what the Christian faith is. It, it tests all of the ideas about how two different beings could be one. It tests all the notions of what the characteristics of that being were. Um, and it says, but, but don't ever get away from this, that he's the one who always was, who was with the Father, that he was and is God, that he made everything that there is, and not only did he make what there is, but he, he filled it, he brought everything that it needed to thrive. It wasn't enough just to put human beings walking around on planet Earth, functioning in whatever way we were designed to function biologically or whatever else. In him was, was life. And the life came kind of wrapped in light. 
then John says, and, and here he, he, he goes more philosophical, but he says, the light shines in the darkness. And again, way back at the beginning, this notion of light, when did light start? Where did light come from? Do you know there was light before there were the sun or the moon? So how is it that the sun and moon aren't you know, given credit for light? Light existed in the creation story before the sun and the moon. God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw it and said, it's good. So John, again, sort of parrots Genesis 1 and says, this whole creation story is about Jesus. And he's the one, all the things I said about him, but he's the one who shines in the darkness. Um, the spirit of God, whom we've not spoken about, was said to have been hovering over the, the darkness, over the chaos, over the deep. And into that chaos, into that darkness, God said, let there be light, and there was light. Into the darkness of the human existence, Jesus speaks light. He, he speaks life and light. And then the very last part of this is that John concedes that the darkness did not comprehend it. The verb comprehend is, is kind of an interesting one. It, it certainly means comprehend in terms of understanding. But remember when you did well in school and you mastered a subject? I don't know what that's like. It's the same word. You got it. You comprehended it. You grasped it. And the dilemma that the created world has, the created world of people, is that even though their source is in the Logos, even though their very life is from the Logos, they haven't understood the truth, which is the light that the Logos brought. And, and so we see John playing that out and saying, here's the dilemma, that the one who made all of this came back to it and was not received. The darkness did not comprehend it. First of all, the darkness did not understand it because we have a mind blinded by the God of this world. And that's what we're told about Satan, another aspect of creation, that he has blinded the minds of those who don't believe so that they will believe wrong things. And as well as that, we have this, just this slow learnedness about us that refuses to accept what we're told. And, and the Bible tells us that even apart from any revelation, what is to be known about God can be known by looking at what he has made. But we're stubborn, and we don't want to believe it. The story of the life of Jesus is that since he was so countercultural, people would not believe him. They didn't like what he said. They didn't like the Sermon on the Mount. They didn't like his claim to be God. They didn't like anything about him. 
they didn't comprehend him in the sense that they got who he was and what he came to bring. And in the struggle of our Christian lives, it is always down to this, that we have not understood Jesus' ways. We have not mastered Jesus' ways. We have not let the light of Jesus' ways bring the full abundant life that he came to bring to us. So Cliff's note, there it is. I did it in 20 minutes, right? That's all you need to know. But I wish when my friend had said, religion, like get to the point, what's the bottom line? What is it? Give me the summary. I probably jabbered for too long. I hope he got what I was talking about. This is what I would have said, I should have said. John 1, 1 to 5 is the crux of the Bible. And the action point is just a little later in the chapter when John says, against those who would not receive him, to as many as received him, he gave the authority to be children of God. That's the story of grace. That if we open our eyes and our lives and say, yes, I believe this, I accept this, and allow our lives to be totally transformed, uh, we will live abundant life.